It is a lovely day. Thank you, Mallory. Thanks, Mitch. Good morning. Here we are. I'm doing a product uh, placement endorsement for Tim Hortons this morning, if you're wondering what I'm doing. So. Yeah, there we go. Scarlett's got it going on. Here we are. 106th. This is not our 106th. Uh, are you filming? Awesome. Okay. Did you push the button on top? Okay, well, then we're filming. Uh, it's not our 106th chili cook-off here at the center, because we haven't been around 106 years, but it is 106th. Great cup. So here we are. Um, so thank you, and we're going to have a, a lot of fun this afternoon, so if you can join us, please do so. All right, so let's, uh, let's continue. I know that you're, you're, even your decision to be here today, something shifted for you even in making that choice, because that's the way the infinite works. So we are immersed in it, and it is immersed in us. So I'm going to invite you to drop into uh, 30 seconds of silence. I'm going to offer a chant that the words to, to will be above me over my shoulder on the screen. If you're interested in, in following and singing along, please feel free to do so. If not, just you can keep your eyes closed. Let the music be part of the, your experience. And then I will offer an affirmative prayer. So let's begin. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So know with me, and I invite you to allow my words to be your words, and if they don't fit, just let them wash over you. But what I affirm and know in this moment, and, and I'm inspired by our, our beautiful tradition of the science of mind teaching, is the, the beautiful, simple, and such powerful practice of affirming, recognizing that there's one life, that life is source, that life is loving intelligence, it is universe, it is life, it goes by many, many designators in many traditions. But what it is, is an energy. And it's an energy of unconditional love, of infinite possibility, of creativity. And it is seeking an outlet. And so I affirm, I recognize it, and I affirm in the I am on behalf of each person here that that life is my life, your life, our life. That it is in and through and as all of life. And my opportunity and my challenge at times is to see it everywhere I look. Within nature, within my fellow men and women upon this planet. Or it lies there within each and every one of us. For some, just simply asleep to it. But it doesn't mean that it isn't there. And so as I 
recognize and I affirm my oneness with it, in your oneness with it, I know that something shifts and changes in me each and every time. Because it is the preparation for the prayer, it is the opening for the prayer, it is the devotion to this sacred invocation that is transformative. And so I'm grateful to know that each one of us this day receives that which we are seeking in some way, shape, or form. We open ourselves to the end, we welcome the gift. And so within the welcoming, I know that I must open. I must put down some of my habits of thinking and being, perceiving and knowing. I must put down some of my story and welcome. And in the welcome, all of those things change. My story changes, my being changes. My feeling changes. So in great gratitude and appreciation for this moment, this perfect moment, this one moment, I give thanks, knowing that each one of us is blessed this day in ways we cannot even imagine. Let us allow ourselves, myself, to be delighted this day in ways that I don't need to know, but just simply welcome. So in the anticipation of joy and possibility, of newness and blessings, I give thanks. I invite you to say with me, and so it is. All right. And so it is. Okay, I had to charge up the laptop between services. And so now I can plug it in. And if I leave it charging during services, so you know, the screen flickers, and we don't want that. It's distracting. So here we are. And someone awarded me the gold football. If it didn't have the cup on the bottom, I would... I would punt it through the uprights, but I'm going to just set it down nicely. I'm going to behave today, okay? All right. There we go. I had all kinds of fancy colors and different colored fonts, and nobody could read it. So I'm back to black and white if you're wondering what's going on. So, but it was so creative. So I've been talking about um, uh, spiral dynamics, and, and each week been doing a color. Spiral dynamics are attached to a color. But I want to just do two slides today very very simple and concise because I had a bit of a download this week and so some things showed up for me that I, I feel are important to share. So I'm always in the, the process of listening and paying attention. So I want to talk about awakening to you today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share uh, one slide about the blue spiral dynamics, which is the week we're up to, and then orange, which was, uh, uh, is quite fascinating. And the reason that I like this is just simply a way of, uh, of tracking our development as human beings. And then I'm going to get into three practices that I think are very important in terms of our own. I want to offer you some things that are a bit more tangible today because um, that seemed to be the message that I was receiving throughout the week. So, but what we are awakening to in terms of consciousness, in terms of our own spiritual journey, is awakening to ourselves. It really is. And so I want to, what I'm going to share with you today, I think, reinforces so much of that and why that is so precious and important and valuable uh, wherever we are uh, on our journey, but this time especially with all the muchness of, that's going on. So blue, so blue is, is the next phase of development in the spiral dynamics. So I put one slide together, I want to talk about it briefly, and then I'll move to orange. So we've done beige, and we've done, beige is survival, it's 250,000 years ago, it's a, it's, it was really about just surviving on the planet, and then we moved to purple, which is tribal, got to find our tribe, and all these things are relevant today. 
These are developmental stages we all go through. So, so the beige is toddler, and then there's infancy, which is the, uh, or infancy, and then there's toddler. So beige is, is infancy, and toddler is the purple, tribal. And then we did red last, last week, which is, which is the, the warrior. And they, they, they swing back and forth from individual to group, individual to group, individual to group. So blue is, we're back to, we're moving from red, which is the warrior phase, uh, to blue, which is about the group. And blue is about the rule of law. So the role, and it's typically lands for us when we're about seven or eight years old in terms of our own evol- evolution. So we learn about the rules. When we're seven or eight, we start to learn about the rules, how things go, how we're going to you know, navigate our way through life. It's also, it, it also showed up about 5,000 years ago. It represents the, the, the establishment of the nation state, so various countries, various regions, which we just accept as a, as a, a norm now. Authoritarian, its theme is life has meaning, it has direction and purpose with predetermined outcomes. So in this mindset, everything is set. We, we are born into a certain caste system, and to draw upon the Indian culture, we're, we're, we're born into a certain cultural conditioning and it really isn't in the mindset that it can be anything other than that, so we fulfill that. There's a sense of order in it uh, and the predetermined outcomes. The quest is ultimate peace. So when we have order in our lives, when we know what everybody's part to play is, nobody's going to surprise us. You know, our partner's not going to come home and say, you know, I've decided to join the circus. You know, I've decided that uh, um, whatever it may be, but there's the role that we land into and, and we live that out. So the method follows the, give, it follows the given rules and don't exceed your role. So don't try and get too, too big for your britches. Could be a, something that could come out of that. And then there's pitfalls. So each color in the spiral dynamic has a shadow. That when we're not living in our healthy, so as I've said many times, it's not about right or wrong, good or bad. It's just that when we're in a certain uh, worldview, so these re- represent worldviews, these different colors. So sometimes we can be in survival because things happen in our lives. Things are taken away. Uh, circumstances change. So we're in, so to be in survival, but to be in healthy survival. To be in blue, but be in healthy blue. So one of the pitfalls or the shadow part of it is the archetypical role identification. So we become over-identified with a certain way of being. And then we, we, it's very hard for us to break out of that. I am this, and you're not going to convince me otherwise. So very little flexibility. There's a script pathology which also ties into that, the way we speak, the way we move, the habits of being. There's, and fundamentalism comes out of this. So our way, our group is the only way. Fascism comes out of this. Fascism is, is when businesses are influencing government. So, you know, there's, there's certain situations we can point to them now where businesses seem to have uh, an undue influence upon the political system. That's a form of fascism, uh, etc. So those are, that's blue, which was uh, once again about 5,000 years ago. And we know people that live in blue. It's very much about order. It's about fulfilling the role. It's about, and it creates some peace because we know who everybody is. We know what everything, you know, how it's all going to unfold. So, and we need blue. We need that order and structure because what blue came along and it put some, some, uh, some order into the Wild West mentality. It brought in some rules of law that, you know, we don't carry sidearms into, well, in some states they do in the United States, but we, you know, back in the Wild West where they say, okay, can't carry your gun in town or whatever. That's a form of blue. We need some rules. We need some order. 
So Orange comes along 300 years ago. Orange is about the achiever self, and it's typically in our own evolution, 9 to 14 years old. It, you act in your own self-interest by playing the game to win. So I'm going to figure out what the rules are, and then I'm going to I'm going to implement those rules in my life so I can win, so I can play the game better. The quest is material pleasure. Anybody identify with that? Anybody interested in material pleasure? Yeah. I'm in that club. I just had to buy a new mattress pad because the one I had was not providing me with the material pleasure I needed to sleep well. So I didn't just suck it up and grin. I said, no, this isn't working because I was starting to become sleep deprived. So to play the game to win, material pleasure, method, learn to excel, set goals, achieve, measure success. Those are all good things. We need blue. We need all of the, we need all of the worldviews. And then the pitfalls, once again, the shadow. Identity crisis. We get so busy doing that we don't have any idea about being. And that's what part of this, this spiral dynamic thing is, is that we're moving from activity, which is a tier one, this is still tier one we're in, to states of being, which we'll talk about in the new year. So identity crisis, role confusion, consumerism, ecological crisis, workaholism, goal fixation, overattachment to successful methods. Anybody here uh, a workaholic? Does anybody know a workaholic? Yeah. So it's a, very, it's a very acceptable form of addiction on our planet. And once again, no, no judgment on it, but this is... So without the other memes, without the other capacity to move into some of the other worldviews and some of the other ways of being, this can become very, very limiting. Any of them can. We're just stuck in, in one of them. So I want to share this with you. Joseph Campbell was a wonderful uh, cultural anthropologist. We actually have a curriculum in, our, in the CSL, Centers for Spiritual Living, um, accredited curriculums based on the work of jo uh, Joseph Campbell. Brilliant man, um, a cultural anthropologist. He was a professor at Sarah Lawrence University. He did a remarkable and brilliant uh, series of interviews with Bill Moyer on, on PBS a number of years ago. And uh, he has since made his transition. But he had this to say about the, the journey because he studied all the cultures. He was just like Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder. He studied all the cultures. So our founder read everything. He studied everything and he found the commonality in it. So when we say we, we celebrate and support all traditions, we do when they're healthy. We celebrate healthiness, healthy-mindedness wherever we find it. Dr. Uh, Campbell said this, Briefly formulated, the, universe, the universal doctrine teaches that all of the visible structures of the world, all things and all beings, are the effect of ubiquitous power out of which are an effect are the effects of an ubiquitous power out of which they rise, which supports and fills them during the period of their manifestation and back into which they must ultimately dissolve. This is the power known to science as energy. And the beauty of this is we're energy. We're all energy. And we've come from source, and we're here having this experience, and we fall asleep in this experience. But the truth of our being is we are, at the core of our being, we're energy. We come from this, this, this light force. The quote continues. To the Melanesians, it's known as manna. To the Sioux Indians, as Wakanda. To the Hindus is Shakti, and to the Christians is the power of God. Its manifestation in the psyche is termed by the psychoanalyst libido. And its manifestation in the cosmos is the structure and a flux of the universe itself. 
what we are. It's what we've come from. So, in other words, it, all the traditions speak of it. They all have a different. They all have different rituals. They all have different names for it. They all have different ways that they approach it and interact with it. So it's beautiful to know, and it's, it's a wonderful time that we live in. So, I want to share with you three practices today. Uh, that I think can help. And one of the reasons that I wanted to touch upon the spiral dynamics, I think it's very, very important information, but the download that I received this week was that, that this, it, it's time to also share these, these practices with you. So there are three practices of transformation I'm going to talk about. I'm going to set it up just briefly for you, is that we have our brain science says 95% of us, we are reflective. It's habit. We don't think about it, we just do. And things happen. People say things, we, we have a response to it, and we just respond to it. So the brain science, 95% of our makeup is just habitual. We have habits of thinking, habits of being, habits of doing, habits of knowing, habits of perceiving, habits of believing. But we're so immersed in it, we think that's who what we're, and what we are, but that's not who we are. Those are our habits. So this energetic field that, that Joseph Campbell wrote, wrote about is what we come from. It's at our very core. It's, it's the core of all of us. It's the core of all life. And so the great, the great mystics have, have known that. There's nothing but God. There's nothing but source to see it everywhere. So 95%, so 5% is, 5% is kind of aware it's on a journey. And this is just the way we do ourselves. We all do this, all of us. We all, we all do life this way. 5% of us, we have that 5% uh, uh, bandwidth to, for newness. So we can pray all we want. We can have spiritual power. We pray all we want. But without a shift or change in the prayer work, in our spiritual practice, whatever it may be, we can negate all that stuff really easily because 95% of us is like we have, we can, we can have all the things we make us think we're okay, that are, we're okay, but yet the world will tell us that there's not enough, that I'm not enough, there's something wrong with me, I'm not okay. So you and I, we have to do something. To, to cut this habit. How many here are dealing with lack? Anybody here experiencing lack? Okay. All right. Well, I got my hand up too. So I want to talk about lack. I'm going to talk a, a little bit about it today. So one of the things, this is just brain science. This isn't, this isn't spiritual. This isn't esoteric. This isn't woo-woo. Brain science tells us, you know, so uh, if you write down what you spend. So here's, I did this. I went and bought five memo pads. It cost me a dollar at the dollar store. That's why they call it the dollar store, by the way. I figured that out. And I have in here bought five memo pads for a dollar. I've started my own little pad here. It's a little book. I have three more left. I've been selling them. Now you can buy five for a dollar. I'm selling these, each one of these for $20 because they've been with me and they're blessed and they're pretty magical. So if you're interested... <laughs> I'll sell you two for $35. Barb and, um, and, and Darren, I'm just saying, you know. But do you realize that if you write down everything you spend, that your income goes up 20%? That's brain science. That isn't anything. You write down everything you spend, 20% raise. You don't have to go find a new job. 20% raise. If you write down everything you eat, brain science, the measurement on brain science is you will lose 20% of your body weight writing down everything you eat. Because most of the time our spending patterns and our eating patterns are unconscious. Isn't that remarkable? All right, let's go get some pads. Lecture over. This is awesome. Okay. So 
what happens is when we become conscious of our habits, when we simply become conscious of our habits, we become a law unto ourselves. We become a law unto ourselves. We show up and say, you know, I came here to be this. I came here. You and I were sent here by this infinite divine intelligence for a purpose. And it's a worthy purpose. It's an amazing purpose. It's a powerful purpose. But we fall asleep to it because, I don't know about you, but I wasn't raised in an environment. My parents, when I, when I showed up at home and was old enough to understand the English language, my parents didn't look at me and say, Patrick, God sent you. Did anybody get that? Maybe you did. I didn't get that. Because they were asleep in the dream as well. God sent you. You're amazing. But I'm here to tell you, God sent you. God sent us. This infinite intelligence sent us for a purpose. It's no accident we're here at this point in time. And so what happens is we fall asleep. We become unconscious. And what we become unconscious to is that we, we fall asleep to owning and loving ourselves. The truth of us. We feel separate from that. That's that, that fog, that's that dream of separation. We're asleep to the place within ourselves that knows our worth. So maybe this week you say to yourself, you know, this infinite intelligence lives with me, at least that's what the preacher said on Sunday. And what I'm demanding in this moment, place to demand upon the law and this infinite intelligence and say, I'm creating a welcome here. I'm opening myself up to have a greater tactile experience of that and to live more and more from that. And the, the challenge is don't forget that and keep doing that. It takes repetition to retrain ourselves. But then we become a law unto ourselves. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. I mean, we're probably going to live, what, another couple of weeks at least? We might as well spend the next couple of weeks doing it. Give it six months. If it doesn't work, bring your book back in. I'll reimburse you. Money back guarantee. Your dollar is going to be replaced. And I'll get you a new book too. All right? I'm just saying, the, thing, and the first thing I should have wrote in this was my cue card. Hey, please have compassion for me when I show up to the bum, bum. Go home and do that. I'm like, I'll come back next week. I'm going to have everything I spent in this book. I want a 20% raise, amongst other things. And so I'm going to do my work. I'm willing to devote, because what happens is it, I become awake to my habit. I wake up to my habit, awakening to me and awakening to you. So the three practices. I said I wasn't going to do this first part between services because Laura said, you're, she said, you're across the barriers, too much information. I said, thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> said, it's true. Where is she? Oh, she's back making chili, I guess, for the, she wants to win the contest this year. So awakening, awakening means recovering from our story of separation. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump forward here. So our first one is tracking. Our first practice is tracking. When we track, we have to start with tracking. So what does tracking mean? Have you, as I said, but we talked about lack. Have you ever had the opportunity to live in scarcity? Anybody? Probably those of us in lack have lived in scarcity as well. And so one of the ways you can begin to step out of that and recognize that you're being run by your self-system, so I had a whole thing here setting up the self-system, but it's our habits, our ways of being, our conditioning, right? Waking up to those habits. That's our self-system. That's how we do life. And so waking it up, we track. The moment that you understand you're living your life through a belief, then you can question. So I'm, there, there's not enough. And so you can say to yourself, wait a minute, I'm having the experience of not enough. What's this all about? I went to the Center for Spiritual Living on Sunday, and he told me I'm not, I'm not the things I have in my life. I'm not my beliefs. I'm not my thinking. 
And yet I'm, I'm having this experience of not enough. Well, the reason that we have the experience of not enough, you and I, is because we have a belief there's not enough. And you can ask yourself, is this true? So stop yourself when you catch yourself going down that path. Is this true? Is it true that there's not enough? You can look and say, well, what I have in my life right now is insufficient. But I have made it insufficient. What I have is insufficient. But I, me, have made it insufficient because of my belief. Isn't that the good news and the crummy news too? Nobody to blame. We latch on to these things. You're not enough. Who told you that? Is, we can say, is that true? There's not enough. Is that true? There is enough. I know people that have more than enough. Why am I in the insufficiency? Because I have a belief that says there's not enough. We always get what we believe. So, the, the, so let me just say this. So when you're dealing with the effect out there of not enough, it doesn't, doesn't get us anywhere. What we have to focus is within. We have to focus within. That's where the work goes on. So when you start to go to work on yourself, you're tracking and you're catching yourself. The first step is catching yourself. I'm going into not enough again. I don't want to produce. I don't want to plant more seeds of not enough. I'm, I'm reinforcing not enough because I get scared. I get worried. How do I shock myself into a new habit of being? Well, it, and that's the challenge. But instead of dealing with not enough out there, now I'm looking and asking, what's the truth? The truth is that this belief that I took on, and I don't have to have this belief. How do I unravel that? I could go get a practitioner. Help me with this. I have a belief and not enough. I go partner with a practitioner because there's only one mind. And when the new idea is clear in the mind of just one of us, just one of us, we could start to dissolve that habit. So why would you not have a prayer partner in your life that can know the truth for you? We train practitioners here. I'm a trained practitioner. When we know the truth for one another, but it's so easy to slide back into the world of effect and have what's out there inform us. I can feel a sense of gratitude and connection to what right now is supporting me and knowing that all my needs are met. But I need to be reminded of that. All our needs are met right now. The truth of our being is we're eternal, we're unstoppable, there is enough. Well, now we may be, as I said, dealing with insufficiency. But it's as a result of that belief. Isn't that good news to know what we get to address? Isn't that, isn't that inspiring to know I get to dismantle this, this belief? I get to dissolve it and replace it with something new and more potent and, bre- and, and has potentiality and beauty. So we begin to free ourselves. We become a law unto ourselves. And the entanglements to whatever's connected to that, not enough. And so what, it, this may not initially change the insufficiency, but what changes, what is so precious and beautiful and important, is I am changed. I am changed. So we may have a belief. We had a wonderful discussion in the Science of Mind class the other night. And in the Science of Mind textbook, Dr. Ernest Holmes says, evil will exist as long as people continue to believe in evil. Because we don't teach the devil. He said, there's no devil. We got got that handled without having to have some little guy with a pointy ears and a tail and and a pitchfork running around in a red suit. You know, that's the the mythology. We don't teach that. And, and I, I won't go into that right now. But So what happens is we grow 
and we unravel these habits is that all of a sudden, it's not that the things that we, we judged as evil were, are not, have gone away, because we'll always have that. Jesus said we'll always have the poor amongst us. And so he's, he understood the, the evolution of consciousness, but we look at it from a different perspective. And we look at it and we can discern without sliding into it and having to judge it and make it wrong and, and get depressed and angry about it because it's going on to realize it's that these people are asleep. They're not stupid, they're ignorant. Because what happens is as soon as we, d- we dive into this, this, it's horrible and horrific and why do people suffer, as soon as we slide into that, our energetic field, we no longer are able to hold the high watch. I've worked with people as a practitioner and they come in and finally they convince me that they're broken. And I just have to say to them, I can't work with you anymore. You've convinced me. I'm embarrassed to tell you that you have been so convincing. You've got to go find somebody else to pray with you. It hasn't happened a lot, but it happened early in my ministry. And it was a great lesson for me. So I'm not telling you it's happened recently, but when I was in this little church in Southern California, I had a woman that kept coming in every day. And after about a month, pretty soon I was handing her cash. She wasn't interested in changing consciousness. She she was looking for a handout because she had kids. I mean, their story was compelling. And I'm glad I did it. You know, it it cracked me up. But I realized as a practitioner, this is not my role. And it doesn't mean I don't care and I don't want to help. I could have done both, but I wasn't in the consciousness of it. Do you get that? So I started to see her as broken and needy and insufficient. I started to support her in her insufficiency. So when we give, but we also realize that people are beautiful and powerful. And to empower them and hold that idea. So it's not either or. I just couldn't do both. My generosity spun me into enabling. I see that now so clearly. So this whole idea of tracking, catching ourselves, hey, I'm sliding into not enough. Hey, wait a minute. Do I want to slide into not enough? Is that, is that true? Is that true about me? No, it's not the truth of my being. It's just simply the experience I'm having right now. And I'm going to go about the business of, of dissolving that. How long do you think that'll take me? That's what people always ask me. Well, how long do you think this is going to take? Because I'm in a hurry. There's a cab outside waiting for me. Well, how long, how long have you been alive? As my teacher used to, because I used to ask that question. Hey, look, I'm a busy guy and I need to get this fixed and I need it fixed this afternoon because I got bills to pay tomorrow. And she would laugh and say, well, how long have you been alive? And I'd say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm 40. She said, well, give yourself a month for every year you've been alive. Hmm. So I went out and I got a calculator. I figured out that would be 40 months. Let's see. Well, okay. But if it's not better in 40 months, I'm not coming back. So there takes time, is all I'm saying. And it didn't take 40 months, but I needed, my, my intellect needed some framework. So tracking. C is wisdom. Number two of the practice, C is wisdom. Our whole idea of judgment or otherizing. So it's our tendency to compare ourselves with others. We have a tendency to project our discomfort onto each other. Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr, great Franciscan, I've read all of his books, says, pain that is not transformed is transmitted. So what happens is we, we show up full of pain, full of our pain body, as Eckhart Tolle would say, and we, we share it with somebody else. Let me, here, let me give you a little pain. Bullies do this. Bullies are in so much pain internally, they, they, they don't know what to do with it, so they project it out. So it's another way of, of, of uh, projecting. So we, we start to otherize, holding ourselves up to some standard and diminishing ourselves or diminishing someone else to understand that this is the effect of the self-system that runs us. So there's a system within us that runs us. It's our habit. It's our habit of thinking and being and knowing. So it is a habit. It's not who we are. But, so 
it, it, depending on the emotion that we are addicted to, if we're addicted to feeling less, then, then our circuitry will run and we will attract to us like a magnet people that will reinforce, you're not enough. We are all connected, there's one mind. <sighs> I'm not enough. Well, all the guys and girls that need to play out, you sharing you being not enough will show up. It's, it's an automatic, you don't have to worry about it. It's coming. So how do we do that? We catch ourselves, we track. We realize, wait a minute, I'm projecting it out there. That's why we brought the cue here. So I wanna, I wanna live in wholeness. I wanna model and live what I, th- I want for you. I can't teach what I want for you if I don't own it. And I'm in my own work with this. I'm working with this stuff myself. It's not, I'm not telling you because I got this mastered. I'm telling you because I know this is my, this is my next uh, le- edge of learning. This otherizing. If we are addicted to feeling less, we'll attract people that help us feel we are not enough. But when we recognize that our judgment is really about us, then we can go about looking for what's missing within me. I see somebody out here, and I have an opinion. I otherize them. I blame them. It's a problem. I get to catch myself. I get to track that and say, wait a minute. It's not about them. I'm making that up about them. What's missing for me? What's missing in my life? Is it love? Is it compassion? Is it kindness? Is it wisdom? Is it understanding? And this beautiful person came into my life to trigger me so that I can go about healing that and transforming that. That's why we're here. That's why we're here, the muchness of this whole thing. If we're addicted to feeling less, they'll, they'll show up, as I said. When we recognize that when someone is judging us, it's not about us. Isn't that great news? It's about what's missing for them. So then we don't have to say, and then you don't, you know, I wouldn't recommend going up to them and saying, well, it's not about me, it's about you. What's missing for you? Okay, don't, let's not be that honest. Okay? So that's the truth of it, but you can say to them, tell me more. What is triggered right now? Tell me more. So maybe we can, we can look at this together and transform it. That's hard work. That's hard to do when someone's pointing a finger at you and blaming you, but that's our opportunity. And we can do it. Start out easy. As you go out today and I'm giving you a hug, just look at me and say, tell me more. And I'll say, be back next week at 10 or 11.30 and I will tell you more. Practice, practice with the low-hanging fruit. Tell me more. So what we do with this, so you want to know the, how to dismantle judgment in your life? I'm going to give you the quick fix. It's really good. It's really easy, too. Anybody interested? Because I can move to point three. Four people are interested. You guys come up here at the end, and we'll talk about it. I'll move to... Is everybody interested in this? Okay, good. Thank you. Sweet. Thanks. I'm excited. I'm just basking in the interest right now. This is awesome. I'm savoring this moment. So much fun to have a bit of information. Edge of your seat in a cliffhanger. So, anyway... Simply know this, when you see yourself judging someone, or someone's judging you, either way, say to yourself silently, for the most part, there but for the grace of God go I. There but for the grace of God go I. Because if someone is in pain and someone is suffering, what we can know about them, which is the most loving thing we can do, is that their habit of thinking and being and perceiving and knowing is, is, is what is unfolding before us. It's not the truth of who they are. 
They are as eternal and unstoppable and invincible and beautiful as the rest of us, but they're asleep to it. And if you or I had the same uh, mechanisms within the, the same circuitry, we'd be doing the same thing. Isn't that great to know? There but for the grace of God go I. So a seeing through the eyes of wisdom. We're all here on this journey and people struggle and they suffer. And then we, we have a greater capacity to be kind and loving and say, man, tell me about what's going on. Someone came to me the other day, just the other day, and came in and they were telling me a story. And I said, I just looked at him and said, it's going to be okay. It's just life. We got all of humanity here. They had a conversation with someone and they were processing. It was beautiful. I said, it's going to be okay. It's all going to work out. It always does. Patted him on the shoulder. It's just love. We got all of humanity right in this, this small community. We got all of humanity here. And that's the way it should be. We need that. We need all of it. There but for the grace of God go I. To know that if you and I had that mind, that belief system, that would be our way as well. That's how they do their self-system. But it takes, you've got to show up prayed up. You've got you to do some, some of your own dismantling of habit because if you've got things that are unintegrated, if you've got things that you haven't loved within yourself and brought compassion to it, when they're pointing the finger at you and you match their trigger, you're going to go right into the trigger with them. And then a war starts. And then a relationship breaks down. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so powerful when we have the awareness to not do that. That's what I stand for on the planet. I'm always amazed we, we elect officials and then the war breaks out. Why, why can't we lock these guys in a room together for as long as it takes? Say, you guys don't leave until you figure out how to live in peace together. I think as a, as a humanity, that's what we demand. You guys want to be leaders? Then go in there and do your spiritual practice together and find a common ground so everybody can live and have the joy and the peace and love their families and be productive and all these things that we want. And yet we've got these people that have this, this, this traumatized self-system and then the war start. And it's so tragic. This is why we're here to give birth to this. This is why we practice here with one another. So that eventually the generations, it'll ripple out and affect the whole world. You want to build a world that works for everyone. So the third one I want to talk about, the alchemy of time and creativity. And that is based on this idea of struggle. Has anybody here ever struggled? Yeah, yeah, I do too. A lot of times putting these talks together, I struggle Sunday morning because I don't have enough time, right? So the Tao Te Ching, the great Tao tradition says, the Tao does nothing, but everything it needs gets done in the Tao. Isn't that interesting? There's a place where we can, we can be in our lives where everything comes to us. Wouldn't it be lovely that everything comes to you? That you establish yourself, ground yourself in a belief that, that Source and I, we're buddies. We're pals. We work together all the time. And so when a need arises in my life, I don't have to fix it out there. First of all, there's something to, for me to know. This infinite divine intelligence is guiding me and directing me in every good way so that I know what is mine to do, but I also know that there's a wave of goodness coming into my life with ideas and opportunities and resources and possibilities that I can't even imagine that I don't have to fix and control it, I have to welcome it. That's being an alchemist, taking the ordinary and turning it into something extraordinary. Wouldn't you like to find that place? That's for me, that's for you. 
where the effort is not trying to coax something, but instead welcoming something in, welcoming what can come to us that is in perfect alignment with our reason we were sent. I'm welcoming in this moment, and I'm, know, I'm inviting you to know with me that I'm welcoming into my life the things that are in alignment with the reasons that I was sent. And you too. Welcome what can come to us in that perfect alignment and can assist us in our awakening because that is the part of it. We have to welcome something that can also make us uncomfortable. So when we get uncomfortable, it's not about pushing it away. It's not about, about praying it away or running away. It's about looking at it so we can, we can heal it. We can transform it. That's why I think the cue can be so, so powerful. We start out with the paper cuts because what we want to be able to do is build the resilience and the wisdom and the insight to be able to look at things when they come so that they no longer trigger our habitual way of being. We go, wow, there's an old habit. I'm ready to dismantle that. I'm going to rescript that. It's simple, powerful work. And maybe you have another practice where you do that. But for me, I know that when I can break these habits of being, something more beautiful can show up. So instead of being this whole, this idea of struggling, instead of being impatient, impatience in time <clears throat> creates struggle in our lives. Instead of being impatient, there's another gem. Be present. Instead of being impatient, be present. Ah, I'm getting impatient. Time for me to be present to this moment. Doesn't that feel different to be present rather than impatient? Because when we have the experience something's not happened, what we really need to be is, is present and dealing with time, not enough time, to know that there's divine timing. There's a wisdom and intelligence. And if it's not here yet, because it's not in alignment with divine timing. And there may be something for you and I to shift or transform or heal in order for that timing to line up. We had that 2020 sign, Vision 2020 up. And we had our board meeting this week and, uh, and uh, the suggestion was brought up, let's get rid of that sign right now. Because we're not there yet. It's a beautiful vision. We aren't throwing it away, but we're not there yet because the conversations that we're hearing are all based on we gotta fix it, we gotta get there. We don't have to get there and fix it. We have to welcome it. We have to build the consciousness of the thing itself. We have to transform ourselves. The beauty in this is we transform. We're not about a building. We're about transforming consciousness. And the building could be a result of that, but it should be, we should welcome it. We're not here about building the building. We're here about transforming consciousness. And so when we look at the picture and we realize nothing has happened, people will say, well, nothing's happened. It triggers are not enough. And we slide into victim. So why should I put a picture up here that is triggering people into victim consciousness? Because it's not about triggering you into victim. It's about transformation. So we're going to keep it in the back for a while. Continue to do our work. Continue to break these habits of being, our patterns of being, so we can give birth to something beautiful and wonderful and welcome the greater yet to be. That's why we're here, to live in infinite possibility more and more and more. The alchemy of time and creativity opportunity. So it comes in divine timing. So tracking it, paying attention. There but for the grace of God go I. I dissolve judgment of self and others and establishing a new relationship with impatience and time. And when my impatience gets triggered, I become present. And I welcome divine time into my experience. So I want to read to you from The Living with, uh, the Science of Mind by Ernest Holmes, our beautiful teacher. 
And he talks about this in relationship to prayer partnering with practitioners. And he writes in the uh, introduction, page 10, the divine knower operates through mechanical law. The law is mind in action, and when you give a prayer treatment, you should feel that all the power there is in the universe is flowing into your word. Believe that truth swings instantly into manifestation through your conviction, for this is the power of your treatment. Be simple, be direct. Effective treatment must be independent of any existing circumstances, for the divine creative experience knows no circumstance. It is the creator of them. Here is the crux of the whole matter. This is why we are told never to count our enemies, but to look unto me and be ye saved. We spend a lot of time counting our enemies when it's really the opportunity to just ground ourselves in the truth of our being, in the stillness and in the quiet and welcome. So thank you for being part of this movement. Thank you for being part of this welcome. It's simple, it's just not easy because our habits get running, we forget. But it's okay. It's the song that Rumi sings, come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving. We can always come back. So blessings, thank you so much, and so it is.